Please join us every week for a new episode of Understanding the Human Condition with Dr. James Flowers. Dr. Flowers and his most admired mentors, respected colleagues, and VIP guests will share valuable insight into underlying health causes, conditions, and issues. These in-depth yet approachable episodes are a great resource for both private individuals and industry professionals. Our esteemed host, Dr. James Flowers, is one of the most recognized and respected names in the field of chronic pain, mental health, and substance use disorders, both nationally and internationally. Dr. Flowers is the founder of J. Flowers Health Institute, located in Houston, Texas. For more information about J. Flowers Health Institute and its concierge services, go to jflowershealth.com or dial 713-783-6655. And be sure to mention this podcast. Welcome to Understanding the Human Condition with your host, Dr. James Flowers. Hey, Robin. Hey, you. You're awful close to me today. (laughs) You're sitting sitting a little close. (laughs) I wore deodorant. Sorry. How are you? I thought we were closer than that. (laughs) I just looked over and I'm like, whoa, she is close. (laughs) Like we're on a date. Yeah. (laughs) I'm good. How are you? I'm great. Awesome. We're a little silly today. I'm super excited to have Dr. Ross Ellenhorn with us today. Yes. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> you bet. Absolutely. <laughs> Thanks for coming on the show. I'd like to read a little bio, if I may. Uh, I'm sure most of our audience knows who you are, but for the few moms out there who don't, I'd love to yeah. read a little bio. For the past three decades, Dr. Ellenhorn has been a pioneer and leader in the development and promotion of community integration services, types of care that serve and empower individuals diagnosed with psychiatric and or addiction issues while they remain in their own communities and outside institutional settings. Dr. Ellenhorn is the founder and owner of Ellenhorn, the most robust community integration program in the U.S. with offices in Boston, New York City, and Raleigh-Durham area of North Carolina. He has authored two books on human behavior. He is the co-founder and president of the Association for Community Integration Programs, a professional association representing and promoting programs dedicated to empowering clients who are receiving services while living and participating in their community. Dr. Ellen Horn is the first person to receive a joint PhD from Brandeis University's prestigious Florence Heller School for Social Welfare Policy and Management and the Department of Sociology. And there, and there is so much more to his bio oh, for than, sure. than that. Yeah. And so hopefully we'll learn more a little bit about you and the audience will learn more a little bit about you. But, but amazing bio and you are known for uh, community reintegration programs. And so I'd love to say help our audience understand what that means, community yeah. reintegration. Well, for, first of all, when I, when I hear that bio, I just it sounds so... Mm. Impressive. My self-esteem goes way up. Doesn't it? Yeah, <laughs> then, I know. And then I have to remind myself that I wrote that, so it's <laughs> that is fantastic. Yeah. yeah. So it's just something about self-affirmation that I still feel good about myself after hearing my own words. You um, bet. So yeah. So so I you know I, I I'm trained as a sociologist, so I really am interested in what happens to people when they're treated as mentally ill. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if um, actually a good amount of the things that we associate with mental illness, especially issues around motivation and about the willingness to accept help, if those things are actually not mental health issues, but social issues, uh-huh. that mm-hmm. there's a significant amount of social psychology on what happens to a person when they feel ostracized, when they feel stigmatized, 
Um, and sadly, if you ask most mental health patients, uh, who are the people that are ostracizing? They're going to tell you that it's treaters. Yeah. yeah. It's doctors and social workers. So interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so there's something that we think of as a psychosocial trauma that we feel that we are dealing with people that have gone through a real significant problem in their lives where they became outsiders. Yeah. And sadly, our profession is the profession that decides who is an outsider and who is not through labels. Uh -huh. And so it's community integration is really about how do you keep this person actually in the community, continuing on their course in life, uh -huh. instead of being sort of placed outside of that course, mm -hmm. and right. still treat them for these really kind of extreme events of mood and mind. That's the idea. So we really work with people that might be considered appropriate for a residential program or a hospital, right? We're treating them in the community, because we really we have these strange ideas, that purpose and meaning, in a sense, the connection, have to do with your well-being yeah um instead of being going on too long right now already so no, go ahead. no no instead of, are you saying instead of being in this um uh brick wall uh in this type uh facility type program right instead of being in a false environment right and not in vivo yeah i mean uh your podcast is on the human condition so here's here's one very simple thing we know about human beings mm -hmm. Um, they're living. Yeah. yeah. Living beings, you cannot predict the growth of a living being. You mm -hmm. cannot um, prognosticize about it. You can't decide where they're going in their growth. You can pretty much tell what illness is and you can label that, but that's actually less important mm -hmm. than growth and a person's movement forward. And the other thing we know about living beings is that because they're constantly changing and moving forward, that they live in ecologies, that they're part of the world. Mm -hmm. They're taking in the world and they're also producing into the world. And we live in a system that treats human beings as if they're not human beings, but things. Mm -hmm. So when they're broken, you send them to a factory mm -hmm. or, or a place where you get fixed. And then there's certain tools we use there. And if those tools don't work, we assume that they're too broken to be fixed. Mm -hmm. So it's a factory orientation. Psychiatry and mental health care is basically a factory orientation. It's the orientation of what we do to things, not living animals or beings. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Talk to us about the trauma caused by psychiatric treatment that you see. Well, um, I believe that um, um, actually a lot of things that we associate with the negative symptoms of uh, schizophrenia may be actually a person who's, who's in despair mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and a person who has lost hope and a person who has been beaten so badly by uh, ostracism that they've given up con making contact with people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that when we talk about clients that are difficult to engage, um, we're really talking about people that are not trusting us uh -huh. and for good reason uh -huh. often, because the thing that's difficult to engage is actually our treatment. Uh -huh. We don't come to their homes. We don't, we don't mm -hmm. come to them. We make them go to places again as things, and then we kind of try to fix them. And so a lot of that trauma has to do with motivation. I don't want to move forward in, anymore. And I can talk to you a little bit further about that if you want, because my research is on this thing called fear of hope. Uh -huh. um, and um, and a, what, I, what we call a perturbed relationship with health. Yeah. And for me, um, I think everybody needs to learn how to accept help. And if a client from my program accepts help from a shaman, I'm as happy as if they accepted help from a psychiatrist. Absolutely. The point is, can you receive and accept and metabolize help? Yeah. And somebody that's been so injured by these systems of care, they stop wanting to take in help. Uh -huh. 
Um, so those are kind of the two symptoms of psychosocial trauma. Yeah. Um, there's remarkable research actually by this guy named Kipling played this game called Cyberball. Okay. And um, what that is is that they get on a computer and they play against two other supposed people, but it's just a program. They don't know this. And those two people throw a ball and then they throw to the person, to, to the subject, subject throws back. And then those two people just start to throw to each other only. And the person is in an fMRI machine. Mm -hmm. And the same part of their brain that responds to pain is all lit up. This How pain is interesting. You, yeah. Pain is you you got to get back to the tribe. You got to get back to the group. You're in trouble. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Now, now Williams actually now tells people you're playing a game and there's no two other people in the room. The same thing happens. Yeah. That's how cute in our brain is to acceptance and being involved and being connected. Sure. Yeah. The research on loneliness is the same thing. The research on loneliness is that loneliness is a feeling that's trying to get you back to the group. Mm -hmm. And so that's why loneliness, when it keeps going, is just as much the cause of heart disease as cholesterol and smoking 17 cigarettes a day. Yeah. Because all the cortisols in your system telling you to get back to the group. Right. Because you're on the outside. Yeah, absolutely. I was intrigued by uh, the phrase fear of hope. Um, mm -hmm. Is that something similar to self-sabotage? Tell us about your research on fear of hope because uh, it sounds so interesting. Yeah. I, I, sadly, I've been told I can't talk too much about the results until the thing's published, yeah, which yeah. drives me crazy. I know. But I'll take my version of it because yeah. it comes from my version. Perfect. It's my version and then, and, then, and then the social psychologists at Rutgers University were part of a team and we're studying this. Got it. Um, but basically, we're showing that um, you know, hope is a really important psychological resource. Mm -hmm. Hope is the thing, it is the emotion that pushes you through uncertainty. That's what it is. It's the thing that when things are uncertain, you're able to get through it because this emotion is pushing you through. Mm -hmm. We're showing that there that a person can have high hope, but be terrified of that high hope. Sure. Because of so many disappointments and that their fear of hope can lower the curative effect of hope, yeah. even though they're high hope. And what we're discovering is, is that actually the people that are in the worst shape are not the people that have low hope and high fear of hope. It's the people with high hope and high fear of hope. They're mm -hmm. agitated people. Mm -hmm. So are they come into your office and you meet with them for therapy and you tell them that there's all good things that can happen in your life and you're giving them lots of hope and all you're doing at that point is terrifying them. Yeah. And then they're responding and they're saying, I don't want to hear what you have to say and I, I don't want to change. And you're saying to them, well, you know, you, you kind of got to pull yourself up and move forward and you're just terrifying them further. And so we're in this kind of place in therapy where if we can respect that what's going on for people is often this fear of hope, we can get to another place with them. Yeah. Understandable phenomenon. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I would assume that that carries across uh, over into physical health and medical health as well. Same thing, mm -hmm. right? That fear mm -hmm. of hope. Yeah. Chronic yeah. diseases. What's that? Chronic diseases, cancer, chronic pain, all of that. If someone has that fear of hope, right? A fear of getting better. Right, right. And, and in the area of problematic habits, where people are afraid of their own sobriety, because they're afraid of that point where they lose it. Yes. And so when you're talking about self sabotaging, it's, it's, it's another way of thinking about a sphere of hope. And sure. Um, and it's not something any of us are freed of. Yep. Mm -hmm. you, you don't see a theologian out there saying, hope is easy. Yeah. 
right? Mm -hmm. Exactly. That's right. Absolutely. (laughs) Thank you for that. Dr. Ellenhorn, talk to us also um, on new ways of thinking about extreme states of mind and mood. Well, um, I think that one way of thinking about it is that there, there is no one schizophrenic. There's mm-hmm. no one bipolar disorder. There are human beings that are having these experiences. And if we begin to think of them in a uniform way, we're probably hurting them. Yeah. And we're also hurting our ability to have a collaborative relationship with them. And all good treatment happens from a collaboration. Mm -hmm. This is just the truth. I mean, all all the research on common factors in therapy say it's the collaboration that matters. 15% of what works in treatment has to do with the model you use. 30% has to do with the collaboration. And the minute you're telling a person they have a thing that they're suffering from is the minute you've broken down that collaboration. Instead of a conversation about what this experience is like for them and what their relationship is with that experience. Uh-huh. So this is where diagnoses get us in trouble. Uh-huh. Right? Yep. Instead of trying to getting to the person and their experience of this thing. Right, absolutely. And you're talking about collaboration, patient provider and provider to provider collaboration. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we're, we're we are the worst profession at collaborating. Yes. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. <laughs> I have to ask because I've been so curious since I read about this. What is a psychedelic-based center? <laughs> Can you educate the audience about this? <laughs> oh, I was dying just, to ask went. you this. <laughs> I was dying to ask you this. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Where'd you find that? <laughs> that- I don't know where you found it. <laughs> and, and if you yeah. want to pass on that, you can. <laughs> no, I don't mind. But we're live. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh boy. So I, I had this idea that I was going to start a program separate from mine um, with some people in New York City that <clears throat> both um, took a more creative approach to the use of ketamine to help people with sure. certain issues. Mm-hmm. And also did work in psilocybin in other countries where it's legal. Yeah. And I was sure that if I did this, it would hurt my reputation. Because, yeah. you know, basically, Ellenhorn's becoming a hippie. Right. So Ellenhorn's in trouble. Yeah. 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 Um, but you know what? Every single hospital in this country is now looking at this. Absolutely. Everyone's Every looking at it. Every single university is looking That's at this. That's right. When yeah. did you start looking into it? Uh, we started working on this company about a year ago mm-hmm. so it was okay. just at the beginning where maps was sort of taking hold um where the michael pollan book came out which yeah. is this very important book on, on on psilocybin um but by now it's it's everywhere it's a two yeah. two articles in the new york times just this month sure everything's moving that way yeah. so i'm now feeling a, a little less like my reputation is going to get hurt by doing this i would agree uh, yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I used to have that same fear, you know, working yeah. in pain and talking yeah. about things like that and, and ketamine, right? Ketamine is used in chronic pain patients all the time. Huh. And I used to have that fear of, oh my goodness, if I use ketamine or we prescribe ketamine to our patients, then for, for their chronic pain and chronic de- uh, depression, uh, I'm going to be ostracized from the recovery community, right? It's right. like, oh no, what's right. everybody going to think? Uh, and now it's mainstream. Yeah. 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 And with its own dangers because it's mainstream. Yeah, absolutely. So what if ketamine becomes 
in, in Massachusetts, we have this thing called Gentle Dental, like uh -huh. these, you know, these chains of dentist offices. Uh -huh. What if ketamine becomes like Gentle Dental? There and you go. People go in only for the ketamine, not for the therapy part. So what are they doing? They're going once a week to get anesthetized, uh -huh. which means it's pretty close to drug abuse. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's legitimized. Right. And so how do we keep it within the realm of therapy? How do we protect it? Yeah. So that it's helpful, mm. you know? Um, and, and, and our program is really about doing that and remembering kind of the creative side of psychotherapy, that psychotherapy has always been an art. Uh -huh. And so how do we kind of keep it in that artistic realm of recovery in our work? And that's what we're doing also um, in these other countries. And I'm working with people that have been doing this, this stuff for years, uh -huh. been doing an underground. Right. So these guys are now working with me and we're doing this in these two different places. That's great. I can't wait to, to watch and talk to you more yeah. about that. Yeah. yeah. And didn't you say one time that dentists, didn't you say this on one of our shows, um, that dentists were one of the two top prescribers of? Um, no, uh, didn't, uh, no, probably what I said about dentists was they're the, the top prescriber of Vicodin. Oh yeah. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. Yeah. So tell us about your book because well, you've got two books, but yeah. the latest one, "How We Change" and the Ten Reasons Why We Don't. Tell us about that book. Mm -hmm. It's out this month, right? No, or was no, it last it's a year? year old? Oh, it's year. year old. Okay. Yeah, it's. Um, I had the wonderful distinction of um, publishing a um, self-help book on May twenty-first last year, which is probably the worst point. <laughs> Right. Maybe doing that's this. why I thought it was this year. Yeah. I missed a year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and and Harper Collins would have me write these editorials or these op-eds that kind of try to make my book seem like it had something to do with the pandemic. Uh, and then they finally just threw up their hands and said, "Forget it. There's just no way to yeah. make this happen right now." Right. Um, so, um, yeah. So 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 years ago, decades ago, I had this group of people who. Uh, in, in a day treatment program. And um, I, I used to ask them, you know, what are the reasons that get in the way of changing? And none of them talked about their symptoms. All of them talked about these issues of the pain of expectations uh -huh. and the pain of getting their hopes up and the fear of kind of being seen as in charge of their lives because then people will get more excited for them, right? And so then that turned into this research on fear of hope, right? And so that the book is really just taking those 10 reasons, the 10 reasons not to change, uh -huh. and sort of offering them to the public as something that we all do. Absolutely. We all kind of worry about what does it mean if I kind of move forward? What will it mean to others? What will it mean to me? And am I heading towards another disappointment? Mm -hmm. That's kind of the basic idea for the book. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Robin? Oh, well, no, I was just going to say that, I mean, so the fear just paralyzes them. Yeah. And that's just the beginning, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, I can, I can tell you another, another way of looking at it, which, which is my own theory. And it's, it's not, it's an unproven theory Okay. that um, this concept of an attachment disorder. First of all, I don't, I don't know what attachment disorder means because I don't, I don't have any ordered attachments. Right. I don't know if you guys yeah. might be a strange exactly. person, but none of mine are ordered. Yeah. Um, we can talk order. about what they are yeah. later. And, and I think that if I ever met an ordered personality, I'd find it really boring. Uh -huh. And I don't know anybody whose character is ordered. So I don't know what these things mean. Right. But um, what if attachment issues are hope issues? Uh -huh. hmm. 
So what is that infant doing when it reaches for its parent? It is making a gesture of hope. Uh-huh. It is reaching out and making hope. When, when you hope for something, you're always um, making that thing important. Before you hope, it's less important than when you make it, when you hope for it. Yeah. And so it's setting itself up to fall into a deeper disappointment. And that disappointment is the experience of helplessness. Mm-hmm. I can't feed myself. I can't get fed. I can't make my life work. Mm-hmm. And so what if what we mean by attachment issues is really hope issues, a person who's afraid of reaching out and getting their needs met and also feels like they're incapable of it. Mm-hmm. I'm too broken to drive the bus that is my life. Uh-huh. That to me makes more sense than it's because the attachment wasn't made. Mm-hmm. It's because the hope was disappointed, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think that that's like a profound part of all of our existences is this mm-hmm. fear of being out there and trying and then being disappointed. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely, yeah. Mm-hmm. Tell us about uh, Ellen Horn, the practice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, we, we really combine, if you think about a person who has had significant extreme experiences of mind and mood, uh-huh. they need a lot of help psychiatrically uh-huh. if they're going to integrate in the world. They need a whole team around them that gets them to class, that meets them afterwards, that maybe brings them home, that spends time with them. They need a psychiatrist that's really thinking about their care in a really sensitive way, making sure the side effects aren't too great, making sure the, you know, the meds are working. And so we call ourselves a hospital without walls, but we're really not a hospital without walls. We're an organization that's trying to keep a person in life while you're moving forward. Right. Mm-hmm. And we use this model called PACT, which is this model that came out of Wisconsin and they shut down a hospital and they took the clients and the staff from that hospital and they put them in the community. And what they discovered is if that staff is constantly communicating and meeting every morning to go over the last 24 hours, and if all the care is provided by that staff, and if it's mobile, people don't need to be in the hospital anymore. Right. And so that's, we are taking PACT to well-resourced families. That's the other thing we do is that, you know, well-resourced families actually don't have community mental health. They don't have a place to go that bridges between a hospital and a psychiatrist. Uh And so we're the place where they can have the, that kind of sense of a community mental health, where the uh-huh. continuum of care changes and shifts depending on what they need and all of that. Yeah, absolutely. Sounds amazing. And you guys are in more than one city, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. We're in Boston, New York, uh, Raleigh-Durham area, and now Los Angeles. Yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah. And you'll work with anyone probably anywhere around the country. Is that right? Right, right. So, so um Different places work. So, so New York City, it, nobody's going to go to New York City right. for the kind of care. No. So New York City is for New York City. Exactly. And we probably wouldn't want somebody coming to New York City for this kind of care. Yeah, right. Boston's all over the world, all over the country. North Carolina is. L.A. is too. But L.A. is also very L.A. You know, yeah. there's a lot of people that we can get from L.A. that uh, will work with us. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Wonderful. So you're also the co-founder and president of the Association for Community Integration Programs. Can you tell the audience about the association and what that's all about? Yeah, sure. So I was interested in um, I was interested in trying to get this philosophy kind of spread, this idea that people don't need to be in institutions or residential programs. And so I don't know, six, seven years ago, I created this program. Um, 
one of the places that we've influenced is the, is the Menninger Clinic. They now have a program like ours called a PAC program like ours. Uh-huh. Uh, that means a lot to me that a hospital is doing this kind of work now out in the community. And that was sort of the purpose was to kind of spread the word about this. Um, and we kind of made a rule that if you were going to be part of it, you couldn't be connected to um, a venture capitalist. Uh-huh. That we were very worried about this movement in mental health where non-clinicians own programs. Right. And so we really created this place that was kind of trying to protect the brick and mortar places. Yeah. And we did take on a couple places that had fine financial people behind them, but they weren't allowed to vote. We liked the places so much we took them, but they don't get a vote on the place because we want to kind of protect the spirit of this kind of orientation. Yeah. Amazing work that you guys are doing. Uh, what do you like to do in your time off, which is very little time? Yeah, right. <laughs> Aren't do you travel a lot? Um, well, not last year, but yeah, yeah. normally yeah, in the, yeah, in the normal world. Like <laughs> um, I'm I'm writing um, I'm writing a new book on. Uh, it's a full book on on this book. Do you know this book, Carol and the Purple Crayon? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so um, that's that's with Harper Collins too. Um, it, 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 I, I think I'll have it done by mid June, mm-hmm. and it's it's about this concept called sacred originality, yeah. which is this idea of um, how do you get to the original source for each person, and how that source is sacred, and how do you protect it. Uh-huh. Um, and so I sort of walk through this children's book and tell that story, and yeah. then the opposite of that story, which is. It's kind of remarkable, Harold and Purple Crayon. Hmm. The opposite story is authoritarianism, uh, consumerism, conformity. It even tells that in the story. Um, And there's a reason for that, which is the book was written in 1955, and people were writing about that stuff like crazy back then. People like Eric Fromm, Ivan Illich, um, Herbert Marcuse. So there was a whole scene of people that were worried about uniformity then. 1955 is the year that McDonald's opened and Disneyland opened, wow. and Coke was put in cans. There you go. Spread out all over the place. <laughs> so there was this period where people were very worried about uniformity and conformity, and this book kind of comes from that period. So it's like a little message in a bottle to look back and sort of say, what have we lost, and, and how can we, again, kind of understand the sacredness, what, what Martin Luther King called the sacredness of human personality, uh-huh. the uniqueness in each of us, and how do we preserve that, and how do we support that? Because to me... When I think about what I want for my clients in my life, mm-hmm. I don't think about pathology as much as I think about how do you get to that that core yeah. uniqueness. Yeah. And then how do they get back to themselves? How do they go That's out right. and thrive? Absolutely. Right. Yeah. 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 Dr. Ellenhorn, thank you so much for for taking time out of your day and all of the things that you do. And uh, uh, you were amazing yesterday when you thought the the podcast was yesterday, and you were great with it. You were so cool about that. Yeah, yeah. and that you answer your own telephone. I mean, I'll let the audience know that when I first called him, I did picked up the phone, fully expecting to leave a message, and he answered the phone. And and I I, I didn't know what to say. You're like hello. Hello. <laughs> Right? Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah, well. And then I said, I didn't expect you to answer the phone. You said, well, I saw the 713. I thought you were Menninger. Uh, <laughs> that's, that, that's right. That's what I did. Well, <laughs> you know, um, you know, Matt, did you ever watch Mad Men? Oh, yeah, sure. sure. You know the guy, that the old guy that would sit, just sit around in his office? Uh-huh. 
the secret is that's the life of a CEO. There you go. <laughs> you sit around waiting for people to call. That's actually that's actually the secret. And, and I learned this from a CEO. He said, "Yeah, yeah, CEOs. That's if you're doing it correctly. They just sort of sit around. You, you don't want you don't want anybody to hear this either." I, I love no. I love that because that's my day. <laughs> yeah. 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 We share an office yeah. together, so yeah. I know his day. Exactly. So, so, so when you called, it was like, oh, someone needs me. Oh, that was <laughs> sweet. Again, nice. I was it's so nice impressed. I'm like, wow, yeah. he answers his own phone. Exactly. That's pretty cool. Well, we would absolutely love to have you down to Houston and, and, and not do. only visit Menninger, but visit Jay Flowers Health Institute uh, when you have time. And uh, thank you for this uh, incredible interview and this time you spent with us today. And Thank you. Know, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. If someone wants to reach you, what's the best way to reach? Well, you might answer the phone, right? <laughs> what's the best way for them to reach out? Uh, they can they can email me. So it's rellenhorn at ellenhorn.com. Yeah. Excellent. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you again for being on the show. And yeah. I hope next time we can do this in person. We tried to yeah. get you here in person, uh -huh. but yeah. you were just too busy. Yeah. Um, I'd like to remind everyone watching or listening to us that there's numerous platforms to find our podcast. YouTube, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Please help us out by subscribing to our podcast, liking it, and sharing it. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Thanks so much. Thank yeah. you, Dr. Ellenhorn. Take good care. Thank you.